If you're joining us online, we want to thank you for joining Willow Park Church online. We're from uh, here in Rutland at Highway 33 and just excited about what God is doing and the way God is moving amongst us. We've just finished a, uh, a ladies' conference. I don't know if any of you were there, but they had, uh, I think, about 150 ladies there. And it was a, uh, a powerful and, uh, by all accounts, wonderful time uh, happened. So uh, we're blessed uh, to have had such a great IF conference and to see the way that God has, has worked and ministered. We've been teaching our way through the book of Mark. And we land now at chapter 9. Now I know we've had Easter in between and what an incredible Easter time. Uh, Good Friday down at the Kelowna Theatre was was spectacular and we filled the theatre, we worshipped together from our six congregations. It was good to see everybody together, wasn't it? And if you missed it, well don't miss it next year And, and let's really pack it out. And uh, it was amazing. And then across our communities, I guess, over that weekend, we had well over 2,000 people gather in worship in Willow Park Church congregations, giving praise to God and honoring Christ on, uh, on Easter morning was profound and wonderful with some incredible baptisms. Uh, those baptisms were worth it alone to hear the testimonies of lives changed. But, but now we're going to back up and, and carry on where we left off. We're actually in Mark chapter 8. But, but at the end of this chapter, as we enter Mark chapter 9, we have seen a number of significant themes develop as we've shared. In the first eight chapters, we've seen Jesus who is triumphant. I mean, he's unstoppable in the first eight chapters. He is moving in power. Uh, it is glorious. The big themes that emerge from the eight chapters are, of course, forgiveness. Uh, right there back in, in chapter 2, when the man was lowered through the roof and, and the, the withered hand, which is easier to, to heal somebody or to forgive somebody. And the message of God's forgiveness flows through the first eight chapters. The message of God's Sabbath and rest and peace and deep rest, which we can experience, comes through those, those chapters. The message of Christ's power. He qu- stops a storm by simply speaking to it like it was a, a, a disobedient toddler. He speaks, the storm stops. Uh, we see that and we see also his his boundless love towards people again and again. But now we see the story changing. It is moving from a triumphant narrative to gradually moving towards the tragedy and the forsakenness of the cross. He has come in power, but something is happening. He's entering a period after chapter 9 where he is preparing to move forward towards the crucifixion, towards his death, towards his great mission. And so we'll pick up here in chapter 9. And if you've got your Bibles, we'll um, start reading from verse 2. And after... Six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. 
If you want to think of that word transfigured, it simply transformed before them. And his clothes became blazing white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah Moses, who was talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly... When they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So we know that Jesus and these three beloved disciples traveled up Mount, probably Mount Hermon. And as they are, depending on which theologians you read, it may have been Tamar. But he traveled up the mountain and as he reached the top of the mountain... There was an incredible moment that happened. They were there alone. The four of them were gathered there. And there he was transformed by the power of God at that moment. Something remarkable happened here. The glory of God came. The glory of God suddenly started to work. And we're witnessing something that is incredible. And he was dazzling white and actually whiter than anybody could ever make any clothing that white. So it's an amazing moment. If not, even the language is a little bit strange here, which tells us that it's absolutely true. And I'll show you that in a moment. But he was transformed at that moment. Now, for you who are theologians and know your Bible, probably at that moment you're thinking, ah, yes, this is very much like Exodus chapter 33, when Moses went up onto the Mount Sinai, and there he said to God, God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. God, I want to know your glory. And, and God said, I can't show you your glo- my glory, because if you see my raw glory, you are going to simply die. See, that's what happened in the Old Testament. If you experience the presence and the power of God and you experience God's personal glory, that was so powerful and we are so sinful that we would instantly be burnt up by that raw glory. But God being God says, if you hide yourself in the cleft of the rock, I will walk by. You can't look at my face because no man can truly see the face of God and survive this. So I'll walk by, but you can get a sense of that glory. So the moment happened on the mountain and God came by and Moses had a glimpse of the glory of God. And the scriptures say that when he came out of the cloud, he shone, his face shone because he had been in the presence of God. He was reflecting the glory of God in his life. You might say, is it like that moment? No, it's very different. You see, Moses could only reflect the glory of God like the moon reflects the sun or like a mirror reflects light. Here we have the story where Jesus himself is blazing. You see, the light 
is coming from Jesus. Jesus, we're seeing a moment of divine glory, of a moment where we see the true nature of his divinity, where we see Christ in all his glory, suddenly blazing with glory. In fact, there's a verse in Hebrews 1, 3, of course, that talks about him being the radiance of God. And in Hebrews, he explains that that Christ is the very representation of God. And then when you see him in his radiant glory that is present and that is is there and and is at work. So, So the light isn't being reflected like off Moses. The light is coming from Christ himself. That reflection. It's actually called the Shekinah glory. And when the Shekinah glory came, you had to be right before God. When his glory comes and works, we have to be correct. And of course, if the Shekinah glory came, then of course there was trouble. Because if you were not right with God, and the Shekinah glory was kept in the, in the tabernacle, was kept in the temple, was kept in a place. And maybe you may not be a Christian or really understand this, but... but But in the Old Testament, God was present with his people in this glory. And the glory would travel with the nation. And then the glory of God was present in the temple. And they would gather and they would come to the temple to meet with God. And they went through a whole set of sacrifices to be able to engage in the glory. And I want to ask you a very quick question at this moment. Are you desperate to climb the mountain to touch the glory of God within your life? Are you desperate to know Jesus, to know God's presence, to know God's glory afresh in your life? I'm not talking about the past. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about where you are today. Are you desperate to pursue the presence of God within your life? How's it going there? And so so Peter and and. And James and John saw this glorious moment. He was shining and Moses appeared and Elijah appeared. And what does Peter say? He says, perhaps the most ridiculous thing. He said, shall we build a shelter and put Moses in one shelter, put uh, uh, Elijah in another shelter. And Jesus, you can have this shelter. At this moment, you know that these men are Canadians because they want to build something. Shall we just renovate the house right now? I've got got spare time. Let's renovate. Now, of course, many preachers have talked about this as they're trying to systemize God. Put God in a box. I mean, you can tell Peter was frightened. They didn't know what to say. And if you're going to write a narrative that was, that was fictional, the last thing you'd put in it is a group of three men terrified because they've seen the glory of God and now they want to build shacks to put people in. But it's not so foolish. Because Peter probably understood this one thing. That the presence of God and the glory of God is so dangerous. That you always built a tabernacle or you always build a temple. And probably the heart, as they were frightened, 
was let's build something to protect us from this glorious moment because we know that we are sinful. But God is teaching something far more, far more profound because suddenly a voice comes from heaven and this voice says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is the, this is the most beautiful uh, few words that describe our Christian walk. And what is really happening here, well, I'll explain in a moment, but, but these words are, are worth lingering on because in our own life, we need to pursue God's presence and pursue his power in our life. We need to realize that God is present and we need to live our lives exactly like this to focus on the Son of God and to listen to his voice in our life. And we need to love Jesus with all of our heart in our lives. This is my son. Will you listen to him? And all of a sudden, uh, Elijah and Moses, they disappear. They've gone. And as they disappear, they're left there standing. A couple of points here. You see, Jesus is the bridge that takes us to the glory and the presence of God now. Jesus is the way by which we experience God's power. If you like, God's Shekinah glory. God's presence in our life. Here on the mountain, there are no more tabernacles. There are no more shelters. There are no more temples. There are no more Sacrificial lambs. There are no more priests pointing their fingers to say this is the way. All of that has gone. Why is all of that gone? Because Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the high priest there for you and for me. He's there. He is And so when you live your life in Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of the raw glory because you are sinful, you are covered by Christ and every one of us can have an experience where God is real in our lives. Christianity is a a religion of revelation and relationship. You see what God has done and you enter into a relationship with the living God and that power and that presence is so profound it changes lives. Last night in the foyer, a family came, lovely family. Daughter, I'm told, was chatting, a young adult, as they were chatting about life and problems and battles. Pastor Steve was sharing with them and then led the daughter to Christ in the foyer last night. And as they prayed for her to be filled with the Holy Spirit, she said, completely non-Christian background, she said she experienced the power of God in a way that she'd never realized. There was a touch of that glory right here last night, not even the service, nothing to do with the preacher, just Jesus. How irritating. Uh, Yes. It's that glory that comes and that presence that works. 
But of course, you know that as you listen to this, you go, oh, this reminds me of another moment. It reminds me of when Jesus was baptized in Mark 1. Because right there, the voice of the Lord came and spoke, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased with. Do you remember that moment? And Jesus received the Holy Spirit and began his ministry. Here Jesus is being transformed. We're getting a glimpse. We're getting a moment when we see the true mystery, the true beauty of the Trinity. Because what Jesus is experiencing on the Mount of Transfiguration as he's transformed is the life he has led prior to his birth in eternity where he lived in the glorious light and relationship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What the Transfiguration really is. It is a glorious worship service between God and between the Son and between the Holy Spirit. And when they are together loving each other, honoring each other, deferring to each other, centering on each other, caring for each other, that divine dance of the eternal God has been forever a God who is one but in three persons, we get a glimpse at that moment of how glorious this is the way Christ has lived before he became a human. It's a worship service. And why does Jesus need this moment? Why does he need a profound worship moment? Well, he needs a profound worship moment with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of what he's going to face in the chapters to come. It's a worship service where you literally get a glimpse beyond the veil of the glorious relationship in the Godhead. It's worship. You've been there. You know that. You've been in worship services. You've been in moments of prayer in your living room. You've been in your basement. You've been on top of a mountain. You've been for a walk in the woods and sat down and with your Bible and prayed. And it's as if the very presence of God at those special times has come down and touched you right where you are at. True? Because that is our Christian experience that show me your glory. Show me your presence. Come to me. It's a a moment of worship. Why worship? Because when you're on the mountain in a place of intimacy and a place of worship with the Lord, that is the only thing that will get you through the tough problems of life. When you are a worshipper on the mountain, it will get you through the dirty streets of Jerusalem. When you are a worshipper in the presence of Jesus and you know him, it will help you cope with the with the words that come from those that despise and hate. When you are on the mountain worshipping, it will give you the strength to even face the lashes of the cold, dark world that we live in. Jesus needed this moment. Like you and I need it. His humanity, he needed it. 
And for you to get through the garbage of life, you need to make sure you keep positioning yourself on the mountain with the Lord. And keep being in that position. You see, this experience was simply fortifying Jesus to face what he needed to face. How are your prayers? How are you doing in that intimacy? You see, it's easily spoke about, but it's amazing when you experience it. True? See, I might say to you, there's a great restaurant in, um, in Kelowna. And indeed, there are many great restaurants in Kelowna, aren't there? Great nights. I take, I'd like to take Michelle to most glorious restaurants and sit there and really, um, really treat her. I find that's Tim Hortons amazing for that. And... <laughs> Everybody kept telling me, and I wanted to go there, but I never really got there for six and a half years, that you need to go to Mission Hills Winery and experience the moment and the environment and walk around it and experience the food. And and it became a bit of a joke in our family because we'd go to Peachland and at the end of the day, I'd say, should we go to the winery? We haven't been there. It's six years later and we still haven't been to Mission Creek or Mission Hills Winery. We've been to Mission Creek enough and, and we've been to everywhere on top of a, a hill. And a, but we've never been to that, that big place up there with the, the bell. And Michelle, the kids are tired and we never got there. I said, maybe, maybe one day we'll get there. Because everybody tells me it's good. They tell me it's beautiful. They tell me it's expensive. But go and experience it. I wanted to go, everybody told me. But it wasn't until I went and I tried the food and had the experience that I realized how wonderful it was. See, you may be told about the experience of worship, about God coming close to you. You may know it in your mind. Somebody may tell you, I may tell you, But it's not until you go and you experience for yourself. What's changed? Well, actually, you know it's wonderful. You know it's good. You know it's impressive. You know it's world class. You know all the information. But it's not until you go and experience the feast itself do you realize how magnificent it truly is. And that's the faith. The presence of Jesus, the closeness of his love, his glory, his presence at work. It's not until we go. I had a friend, one of my best friends in England. He, um, he, I felt he needed a wife. So he's getting on a little bit. And I said to him, oh, I met this, uh, this girl. You've got to meet her. She's brilliant. She's Canadian. She was working for me, one of my staff. I said, she's amazing. She's come over from Canada and she's around. You will love her. She's perfect for you. She's gorgeous. And I was telling him and he was going, mm, mm. he's a bit of a, um, you know, quite a quiet Worcestershire man. 
and is nodding. And I said, come on, she's fantastic. And I, for, for months, I'd tell him, you've got to meet her, until finally I got them together to actually meet socially. Wow. He said, I never knew how amazing she was. I said, I know. I really like her. She said, yeah. And one thing led to another, and another thing led to another, and, um, and he married her. And he loved her so much that he moved back to Canada with her. She's a weens. So she's related to half of you. And, and they moved to, to Grand Prairie. It gets better. <laughs> then they moved to Sexsmith. <laughs> if you know Sexsmith, it is a half a horse down. <laughs> and, and, but you know, he said, you told me all about her, but it wasn't until I met her that I realized how terrific she was. Two sons later, I don't know, 20 years on, a Worcestershire man lives in Sexsmith because he's met somebody that changed his life. I went and visited him. I was up there doing some ministry and I drove up and I texted him from the center of Sexsmith. I use the word center loosely. <laughs> There's two grain elevators and a couple of stores and that's it. And then around just dusty fields. And I sat there and I said, I'm in town. <laughs> Come and meet me on the one bench. <laughs> so he came and sat next to me on the bench. I said, Richard, look at this place where you live. And I smiled at him and I poked him. I said, you must really love her. <laughs> you know, you may hear of it. But it's not until you experience it. You may know all the facts, but there's a difference between just knowing and experiencing. And Jesus experienced this moment of worship, of divinity. And, and like a young child that's given a microscope for the very first time, if you've ever spoken to a middle school teacher that gives a child a microscope and shows a little dust that when they look in that microscope becomes the most magnificent, wondrous world. Peter, James and John stand there with their mouths open because it's like they've looked through something that they never truly knew. Christ, the King. And Jesus was strengthened. So what do we draw from this? Well, from number one is we have to be very careful that our experience of Christ is not on knowledge, but we seek to experience it as a personal moment. We come to the table. Don't let your faith just be one of, I know these facts, you tell me. Let it travel from your mind to your heart and let it transform your life. 
Secondly, if you're going to face the trials and difficulties of the future, which every one of us will, we have to learn to climb the mountain. We have to learn to go to the prayer closet. We have to learn to come close to Christ in the garden and walk with the Lord in the cool of the evening. We have to learn to become worshippers. And know God's presence in our life. Because it is only worship and his presence that will get us through the challenges of living on this fallen planet. And thirdly, we have to learn to understand that this is Jesus whom you and I must listen to all of the time. It's interesting they come down the mountain and those who haven't been on the mountain are those that are arguing and can't cast a demonic power out of a small boy. And we've got a choice. Are we going to be the kind of disciples that bicker and argue down in the valley and never touch the glory? Or am I going to be the kind of disciple that is found on the mountaintop with Jesus? And when he comes down into that family, the man rushes and says, Lord, your disciples tried, but they failed. You can imagine the rest of the disciples going, oh, no. And he comes with desperation and, and humility and, and, and openness, this man comes. He says, I'm, um, you can look at the verse, I think it's verse 25. He, he comes and as he comes, he, he experiences that, that he says, I'm an, uh, do you have faith? Do you believe? The one thing that strikes me about this man was he was helpless, he was desperate, and he recognized that he wasn't perfect. But Jesus still came to him and did the beautiful miracle. A beautiful miracle in his life. And, and yet the others had no authority. And we know the story. It's because you're not praying and fasting Sometimes problems have to be dealt with very differently. But it's a challenge to me that if we're truly going to operate in spiritual authority in our prayers and in our life and pray for situations, then we have to ensure that we are on the mountaintop. We have to ensure that we are in his presence. And that he is there, the center of our lives. There are many problems. This morning, uh, two hours ago, many of you know uh, Twyla that worships here. Her, Her son was in a critical accident and at this moment lies in intensive care. And my phone suddenly lit up with messages and so on and and I called back instantly and and she said pray for my son he's 
You know, in a terrible car accident two hours ago this morning in Calgary, uh, lungs are punctured. Uh, there's a neurosurgeon is three hours away because there's a bleed on the brain. And I know one thing. She said, I can't get there at this moment. And he's got multiple ribs that are cracked and broken and, and lots of other things from a terrible car crash. He said, but if we pray and believe, God's glory can come and be at work. See, instant response, I'm going to run to the mountain. I need Jesus. And I need the family of Christ to pray. I need Jesus. And we will pray for Tyler's son, Dustin, that God will be with him. As we would want to pray for anybody in that moment. Where are you running? Where are you positioning yourself? Are you a worshiper? Are you open to God's presence? Let's pray. Father, we do pause for a moment. And as I mentioned, Dustin and Twyla, I pray for Dustin right now in Calgary. And I see you. We pray, God, that, God, you will be with that young man and you will come close to him in Jesus' name. Keep him alive, draw him back to you, strengthen him, that the glory of the Lord may come into that hospital room, that your peace may descend on Twyla and that she may know that remarkable moment when you give us that fortified strength to travel through the most challenging of situations with your presence, with your glory, with your power. Lord, I pray for every one of us in the final moments of our gathering that, Lord, we will learn what it is to touch heaven, to touch your face, Thank you that there are no tabernacles, that there are no temples, that there are no priests, that you are the bridge to the Shekinah glory. Thank you that the Spirit dwells in every one of us. And help us, Lord, I pray, to listen to the Son that is loved and to listen to the voice in our lives, Lord, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen.